Good morning. I'm Tony Blake. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles or find in your Bible app, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses in 1 Peter today. So uh, I hope you will be as encouraged <clears throat> by these words as I have been over the weekends I've been studying them. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give this, <clears throat> that they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Even though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God, that, <clears throat> excuse me, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Tony. I want to begin uh, today by just giving you a brief kind of review of the early journey of my life, because it really, I think, leads into the message. You know, I, I came to Christ uh, in my very late 20s. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about what my life was like before I came to Christ. Uh, I did whatever I wanted to do. You know, if I wanted to spend money foolishly, I did. If I wanted to lust after a woman, I did. If I wanted to use my power to uh, overwhelm people, I did, because I employed about 50 people or they were under my supervision. You know, uh, if I wanted to, uh, you know, uh, be uh, unloving toward my wife, I was. I, I just, I lived, uh, the Bible would call, according to the flesh. I, I didn't know, really, there was a different way. If you'd ask me about the Ten, Ten Commandments, I'd say, yeah, it's wrong to kill people, but that would be about it. And the reality is, when I came to know Christ, this all changed in my life. I began to realize that God had a will, <clears throat> and that will worked itself out in the way I related to people, uh, to uh, the stewardship of the things that God had put in my hands. And so my early journey was <clears throat> to, to discover the reality of that. So, so whenever I'd be tempted to think lustfully, uh, I would be uh, caught up and, and, and have to think, this is not the right thing to do. So, so what happened within me was this battle began to rage between living for my flesh or <clears throat> uh, 
seeking to do the will of God. And, and that battle was kind of the first step in my growth as a believer. Many of you maybe could relate to that uh, as you think about your life and uh, think about the experiences of your early journey, especially if you uh, came to Christ as an adult. After, after coming to Christ, so everything kind of began to change, and, and I began to find within me a desire to do God's will. I, I was concerned, you know, prior to that time, I never one time in 30 years said, gee, I wonder what God wants me to do in this situation. That, that was not anything that ever crossed my mind, ever. After I became a Christian, uh, that question came to me often more and more. Uh, so I responded by seeking to do more and more what his will was. You know, I love Philippians 2.13. It says he works within us. When you become a believer, God's spirit begins to work in you to transform you. And he does that in two principal ways. It says he works in with you, within you to both will and to do his good pleasure or whatever his will is. So, so what it means to me is that he works within us. His spirit comes and he shows us and then even works on our will, our desires, our longings to be in tune with his. And he works within us to empower us to do that very same thing. And that is what the spirit does as he takes the word of God and brings it to our lives so that we have a, a path forward, a, a way to walk more and more and more in obedience to Christ. And as I've mentioned, I, I, I hope some of you can recognize that, as, especially if you've come to Christ later in life. If you're a, a younger person here today, maybe uh, maybe it's been something like that. You realize you're not supposed to fight with your siblings. You're supposed to obey your parents, and you wrestle with that. And, and sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. You feel guilty when you don't, and, and uh, you get uh, good uh, strokes from mom and dad when you do. But under and above them, is the reality of God and his word and serving and pleasing and living in a way that uh, empowers you to live more and more for God the way he wants you to live, to, to, to live for the flesh less and less, to, to be less selfish, to be less uh, uh, greedy, to, to be uh, less, uh, uh, probably a, a hundred things we could say in, in the way of, of sinful things, uh, less gossiping. We could go on and on. And that is the transformation that, that is the, the very beginning of the spiritual life. Today we're going to take a journey in, in the first part of chapter 4 of 1 Peter. And, and there are some things there to learn that, that are new to me, hopefully new to you. Uh, I don't know why, you know, every time you pick the Bible up, you see things in it that you didn't realize uh, that were there all along and you've missed them before. And it's just, it's the relationship of this subject of suffering to our growth or our spiritual maturation. That comes out, and it came out to me in a very interesting and powerful way through this passage. Uh, the reality is it's about suffering and how God wants to use, he purposes to use suffering, hardship, and difficulty in our lives to transform us more and more to uh, become the people of God that he wants us to be. Uh, it is God's purpose and his plan. He's chosen us, he's predestined us to be conformed to the purpose and pattern of, of his will. So he works with, within us for our good, for his glory. And uh, that's a truth from Ephesians 1.11. And so when suffering comes, when difficulties come in our lives, 
it's there. Uh, God didn't necessarily cause it, but he uses it for our good. He uses it to challenge us to grow and to live more and more for his glory. And that brings us to uh, the passage that we want to uh, embrace today and spend some time thinking. And before we go there, one of the, one of the verses uh, talks about uh, whoever speaks, they are to speak uh, the, orals of, the, the oracles of God with reverence. And, and what I want us to remember today is, is we have God's Word. We have the privilege of opening it, thinking about it, as Tony said, reading it, meditating on it. Some of you studying it through the week, hopefully all of you, but I, I want us to just pause and thank God for His Word. We have God's Word, His direction, His, his instruction, His blessing in, in the form of of words that we can comprehend, we can study, we can come to understand, and that can, as the Spirit uh, brings them into our lives, can transform us more and more into the people that God wants us to be. So just join me for, for a quick word of prayer. God, thank you for just the reminder, even in this text today, that we have your word. The God who created the universe, who spoke all that exists into being, God, you have chosen to communicate with us, your creatures, your your servants, your, your followers, uh, those who love Jesus and want to grow more and more in our relationship with him and you. God, use your words, I pray today, to guide us in this uh, thoughtful uh, reflection on your word, your truth. I, I pray, God, that I would so come under the working of the Spirit that I would not give offense or, or misuse your word in any way. Uh, I pray that it would be powerful in the lives of these people that are gathered here. These these are people you love, oh God, and you purposed for them uh, to know you and to rejoice in you and to live for your glory. So use your word today as, as you purposed and planned. Help us to see that suffering is a part of that. To that end, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the text in verse 1 begins with, with uh, the idea, since therefore. And, and <laughs> this is a big sign. It's kind of a big uh, stop sign. Stop and think for a moment. Everything that we're going to look at today in 1 through 11 uh, is predicated. It, it's based upon everything that's come before in all of 1 Peter. I wish we had time to go back and spend a considerable amount of time reviewing what's there. But understand, the therefore means as a result of all that God has done, all Peter's revealed to us, we are to respond in this way and learn and begin to grow and act uh, and live out our lives in the way that Peter uh, has uh, reminded us in this text. The text goes on to say, uh, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When I read that verse uh, beginning to get ready for this, I said, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> Through suffering, I can cease from sin? What in the world is Peter talking about? And so most of our, what I want to accomplish today, hopefully, is, is to open this uh, for thought, for, for reflection in your own lives, for, for you to begin to think how, how and see how suffering can interface with spiritual growth and maturity to the point where we sin less and less, we are more and more godly. So 
So understand, we've seen in the, in the text coming to this point that Christ suffered, he bore our sins so that we could have life in him. Uh, we're told to bear suffering for doing good, not for doing bad. And, and so those are all things that we sort of understand. And uh, the thing that's really new for me in this passage is the reality that, that how I face suffering, how I interact with suffering in my life, can have a huge impact in terms of how I respond to and grow in my faith to become more holy, to become more like Christ in, in every way. So let's take a look at that. The text says to arm yourselves. This is literally a, a, a command. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's clothed in the text as, as a once-for-all command. Do this. Undertake this immediately for the rest of your spiritual life. It's not a, a, a present tense. It says continue. It says, undertake and do this as a command for your life. But what are we to arm ourselves with? What, what, what kind of armament are we put, to put on? And Peter says this. It is to, to uh, think the same way. Uh, let me go back and read it. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. But what does he mean here? I, I believe what he means is, to the same way of thinking that Christ thought. Christ thought when he was on this earth. He came for a specific purpose and plan to serve God, to serve God's purpose and God's will. You know, most of you know that, that, that I'm growing in my understanding and passion to, to, to encourage and, and help people reach out more and more for the gospel. And, and so I've been looking at Paul's life. I've been looking at Jesus' life, and one thing that is consistent in both their lives, particularly Jesus, is what did he do every morning when he got up? He got up to serve the will of God. He got up to proclaim the kingdom of God and to reach people with the message of salvation. That's what he did every day. And he did that in a way that was undaunted by what lie ahead. He knew that he would be suffering. He knew that he would be rejected. He knew that he would be crucified. He knew that that very, very hard things lay in his future. But yet, as, and I've often thought about this, every step, every word Jesus spoke, everything he taught was leading him to the cross. And he knew that. And he did that because he was doing what? He was living completely and totally for the will of God. I can't do that. I've never done that. I will never do that. Uh, I just keep on sinning, hopefully a little less than, than maybe last year. But, but the reality is, the truth is, is to begin to live life as Jesus did, thinking and living and looking to more and more fulfill the will of God in our lives day in and day out. And we'll see that contrast in verse 2 come out more. But, but it, it seems to me it's, it's like joining in and living the reality of the spiritual life, focusing and, and looking to uh, doing the will of God. The reality of that, then, he goes on to say in the text is, so whoever has suffered in the flesh, that's while we're in this life, has ceased from sin. It's like when we're doing the will of God, the likelihood, the probability, the, the certainty of suffering more, facing more difficulties, more hardship, is going to lead us to suffering, which, when we're doing the will of God, will keep us focused on His will and we will tend to sin less. I'm not sure if this is the correct interpretation, but, but this is the conviction God has brought to me. You know, and, and it's coming to that place where I rest in Christ, 
where I'm one with Christ. Dan talked some last week about our union with Christ. Uh, understanding that as Jesus went forward to do the will of God, when we fall in line with him and when we walk with him to do the will of God in our world, uh, we draw on our union with Christ, our identity in Christ, our oneness in Christ. And, and, and I want us to just look, if you throw up the slides from Romans 6, 6 through 14, uh, I want to just read this, and, and I want you to think what's said in, in red. We know that our old self was crucified with him, that's speaking of Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Jesus' death brought sin to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. If, if anything made sense to me, it's as we seek the will and purpose of God for our lives, as we draw closer and closer to understanding Jesus and living in him and in the fullness of, of our position in him, our union with him, our oneness in him, we have power. He, he has freed us from the power of sin. What that means is I no longer have to sin. I now have the power to not sin. And, and the closer I draw to him, the more that power God releases in me. And the more I'm able to live for his glory and, and for my good, frankly. And, and I believe this is something of what's behind what Peter wants us to grasp here in this passage today. I don't know if you counted him, but but seven times in that passage, it talks about the union we have with Christ has put sin to death. We know that his death frees us from the penalty of sin. It's also freed us from the power of sin. So as I draw close to God, as, as I seek more his will, I will have more and more resistance to sin. I will have a greater desire to serve God, walk with God, live for God honor Christ in all that I do. And to me, this is the, the, the wonder of what Peter's unfolding for us in this passage, that, that as we're one with Christ, as we share in that union and oneness with him, we have the power not to sin any longer. It doesn't mean we won't. We, we have to be ever mindful of it. We, we need to be walking in the spirit. We need to be filled with the word. But the power of sin is broken. That's what I want us to and I think the reality comes down to this. If we're living for our flesh, our sinfulness, day in and day out, that's mostly what we think about. And if you throw the slide up with the, the, uh, the, the two options, kind of at the beginning, uh, there. Uh, this is kind of how we go through life. Let me explain this to you. I live in a fallen world. That's, that's kind of what we see out there. If, if, our, if our intake of, of what's going on in life is all about the world, the things going on in the world. We, we can get pretty overwhelmed by that. And, and the little bitty print there says, I live in the eternal kingdom. 
We're overwhelmed by the world. Uh, we're given sometimes to, to seek what the world says will satisfy or numb us or, or help us or whatever. When reality, what I believe Christ did, if you'll flip uh, the next slide up, Christ lived uh, as the preeminent member of the eternal kingdom here on earth. He lived fully and completely for the will of God. And the more we enter into that, the more our minds think as his mind thought here on earth, the more we will live in the eternal kingdom, not in a fallen world. I, I think you could do the same thing with, with the word, uh, I, uh, uh, I live for God's will, big print. If, if we're focused on the way Jesus lived, how Jesus lived, and, and follow his way, as opposed to for living in the flesh where it dominates my life. But the reality is when flesh dominates us, we live for self and we fall into sin. The, the, the classic example of all of this in Scripture is the prodigal son. What did he do? He knew his father had money, so he wanted his father's money so he could go live in the flesh. Was he still a son of his father? Absolutely. But he took the money and he went and lived in a fleshly, selfish way nonstop. Until what? The money was gone, and he was living where? In a pig pen eating pig slop. The son of this godly man living in a pig pen eating pig slop. It was that suffering, that hardship that came into his life that opened his eyes to the reality that he was not living for God's will or purpose. He was not living to please even his father. And so he came to himself, the text says, and he repented and he went to live in the fullness of God's will, seeking the forgiveness of his Father and seeking to write his life. That is the power that we have in Christ, to turn away from that sinful kind of living and live for the glory of God. Verse 2 says, so as to live, the result of all this is so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. How long is that? What's the rest of your time in the flesh? That's till you die. The rest of your time on this earth is to, believe, to be lived in this manner where we're focused on the will and purpose of God. And Peter says that. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. As we learn more and more to seek and desire and pray and and come together as believers to seek out to live for the will of God, we will find, yeah, we're probably going to suffer because we're going to look a lot different from the world when we get into that in the next few verses. But the reality is we will sin less and less because we are doing his will more and more. And that's the joy and the hope of Christ for our lives. He, he, wants, to, he wants to see that transformation come over us and, and build himself into us in that way. To, to fully express our oneness with him, our unity with him, uh, and, and our identity in him. The passage goes on to say this in verse 3, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And then he lists several things, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. For the time that is past suffices... What Peter's saying to us, and I can identify with this because I came to Christ as an adult. All that time you lived in the flesh, uh, don't do it anymore. Move on to live for Christ. That's the admonition. That is the call 
of Jesus for us. That, that is the admonition and the teaching of Peter. Uh, you spend enough time wasting your life living in the pig pen, eating with the pigs. Rise up, embrace your sonship and your unity and your joy in Christ and uh, no longer live this way. He, he gives us uh, some examples of what that life looks like, living in sensuality, patience. Sensuality is just unbridled sexual Whatever. Whatever feels good to it, that's what it is. Unrelenting sexual passion and pleasure. No restraints, no barriers. Passions is, is more just the, the desires of the flesh for more greed, selfishness, uh, being able to talk about others freely, uh, wanting power, those kinds of, of unrelented passions. Uh, those are of the flesh. Uh, drunkenness, we know what that is. It's, it's the abuse of alcohol or strong drugs uh, in our culture that, that alter our mind and, and lead us into doing things that we normally wouldn't do. When we come under the influence of alcohol to the same way that we should be under the influence of the Spirit of God, we've crossed over and we're no longer walking in the will of God. We're allowing alcohol or some other substance, pot, whatever, to be the guide in our life, not the Spirit. He talks about orgies. Those are just drunken parties where sex and, and uh, everything occurs. Uh, same with drinking parties and all this idolatry. We get the idea. The reality is that is the way of the flesh. That is uh, the, the seeking of natural, unregenerate man will be to find whatever pleasure, how awful, and, and whatever bondage it takes people into. People will seek that out because that's all they know. They're lost. They live in the dark and world. They do not. And that should be an impetus to us to have compassion on them and to seek to reach them and, and, and love them and, and share the good news of the gospel with them. That is the reality. So with all that in mind, understand that uh, there's a consequence <clears throat> to all that. Um, and uh, Peter brings that to our attention in verse 4. He says this, With respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in this same flood of debauchery and they malign you. This is the pattern of the world who is unaware of sin, but they sort of understand in a subtle way that it's bad stuff. Uh, young people, you, you probably recognize this more uh, acutely than some of the rest of us do because of peer pressure. Uh, the reality in, in, is peer pressure. Some of your buddies or friends are going to do something that you suddenly know is not right, uh, and so you say you won't do it. So then, uh, as a result of that, uh, they <clears throat> begin to, uh, they're surprised that they can't believe you won't join with them to do it. Uh, and so they uh, start to mock you. And they look down on you. And, and they may separate from you. They, they may punish you in terms of withdrawing their presence and fellowship. And the result of all this is you feel bad, so you, you feel like, well, maybe I should join them because I want their friendship. And that's what peer pressure is. It's choosing to do that which is fleshly and godly for all the wrong reasons, to, to uh, keep friends rather than to honor God. And, and Peter exposes this here. He says the reality is our righteousness, our refusal to do that stuff will expose the wrongness of what they do. And they will come under guilt themselves because they know uh, 
within them that it's wrong to do some of the stuff they're doing. And so, uh, they, but still, it says they malign us, or they will malign you. The reality is because of that, they will accuse you, they will slander you, they will speak bad of you, they will, they will uh, you know, force you out of their group or their circle of friends, uh, whatever. But that's the, that's the pattern when we don't join with them in this flood of debauchery. As I was thinking about this, I, I remember last week, and if you remember seeing on the news the flood in West Virginia, just how houses and cars were, were just being washed down. And the picture here is, is that these people are jumping literally to their death into this flood of debauchery, of, of sinfulness that can destroy life in them. And that's the picture. And, and they'll use that to reach out and, and to uh, malign and accuse others. Verse 5 tells us, though, that, that there's a place to stand. But they will give an account, Peter writes. They will give a, an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> we need to understand as we go through this life, and as, as we seek more and more to live for his will, for his glory, to die to self and, and honor him more. The reality is that more and more as we make this journey together, uh, we may be accused, we may be condemned, we may face more and more suffering. And, and I mean, you read some passages in the Bible, and, and when, when the end times come, it's going to be uglier than it is now. It's kind of ugly out there, but it's going to get uglier. And so, uh, but this is given by Peter to give us strength. Understand, those who oppose us, those who, who cause us to suffer, those who slander us, they will give an account for that before the one who's ready. God is ready today to judge the living and dead. And understand, God is not bound by time. It doesn't mean it'll be a year or 10 years or, or whatever. It just means God is ready to judge. He's capable. He's fully in place where he will bring righteousness and justice to this world through his judgment. And we can, we can hide in that. We can rest in that. Because we know as well as the passage goes on to talk about, because we've embraced the gospel. Verse 6 says, for this is why. This is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. That's the hope of the gospel because of our faith in Christ, we will not face the judgment of those who've rejected Christ, who are living only for the flesh and for the desires and passions of this world. We, we will be ushered into heaven as those who've been faithful through this life. And the more we're faithful, the more honor and well dones and faithful servants we'll see this is the path, and, and if we can just encourage each other to think in this way, to think the way Christ thought, it's about God's will. I'm here on this planet to do God's will with my earthly life. If it brings suffering, it brings suffering. As I was thinking about this, this message, I, I, I don't know, this title just popped in, in my mind, Bring It On. You know, and, and if we're where Christ is, if we're embracing and living in the truth and the power that Christ has unleashed for us, we can say those words with some boldness. Now, not a lot of intimidation. God, bring it on. Because I see through suffering, I can live and be challenged more and more to advance your gospel and your kingdom by your power within me, by your work in and through me. And so bring it on, God. If that's what I've got to face, like Jesus faced or Paul faced, bring it on. And I'll trust that you give me the power and the strength to draw close and to die to the self and flesh and to more and more embrace you more. Well, Peter goes on in, in verses 7 through the, 
the, uh, the rest of the passage we're dealing with today. And it lays out some concrete, practical ways for us to respond uh, to these truths. And, and he raises this, this idea again that, that the end of, of the world as we know it is coming. He says the end of all things, all things is everything as we know it today, is at hand. The end of all things is, is at hand. So he goes on to say, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. He's encouraging, he's admonishing, us. He's, he's doing all he can to say, be self-controlled, operate under the leading and the, and, the, and the power of the Spirit of God. This is one of the fruits of the Spirit, self-control. Allow the Spirit to lead you and guide you to do my will. Uh, stay that way. Stay sober-minded. When, when suffering comes, you know, we can be overwhelmed with fear and, and concern, for, not only for ourselves, but our loved ones. We need to stay sober-minded. If it comes, it comes, because we know that God has the victory and the power over it, and we need to draw into that and live in that truth and reality, and, and most of all, because of our prayer. If we ever needed prayer, if, if anything will ever bring believers to prayer, it will be suffering and persecution. <laughs> we will be on our knees and faces before the living God in, in earnest prayer. You know, and Peter, Peter had experienced a failure in this way. You remember what Peter said to the Lord? He said, I'll never deny you. Jesus invited him to stay awake and pray in the garden. What did Peter do? He went to sleep and not long after that, because he wasn't praying, he was led into temptation, and what? He denied Christ three times. Peter doesn't want us to live that way. He wants to usher us and challenge us and encourage us to draw close through prayer, through self-control and a sober mind, uh, to be faithful, to live out the will and purpose of God in these days. Be watchful. He may have remembered as he was writing these words, the words of Jesus in the garden, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know about you, but my flesh is really weak. And I need prayer, and I, I need for nothing to interfere with my prayer. And, and that's his admonition to us in this area. He goes on to say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What he's saying is, if, if people that are going through hard times and suffering, persecution, and people that deeply are committed to doing the will of God, if there's anything we need, it's the love of each other. You know, we need to draw together. We need to, to be on our knees praying for each other. We need to be loving and supporting and caring for each other, love each and each other. And it says here, earnestly, that means never, never, ever let your, uh, your love fall off its full strength measure in, in your relationship with other believers. Keep your love at full strength as you move forward as we face these difficult, challenging times. He goes on in, in verse um, 9 to talk about hospitality. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The idea here is, is to come together Share a meal together. Minister to each other in this way. If, if and again, if suffering comes, you read Revelation. Mm. Uh, food's going to get or could get incredibly expensive. You know, we know a missionary with our, our ministry, CTO, who lives in Nigeria. He had 11 people living in his house. And for one meal, they split one apple. 
11 people. That, but he was willing to share his apple with 11 other people. That's, that's what's in view here. There may be a time where we are called to suffer and we need one another to share in each other's life, to be hospitable toward each other, to open our homes if someone that has no place to sleep, or to open our table if someone has no place to eat. He goes on to talk about our spiritual gifts. He says, as everyone has received a spiritual gift, use that spiritual gift to serve one another as good stewards of the very grace of God. You know, every one of us has have a supernatural empowerment from God. Uh, there's a list of spiritual gifts out there. God has given that for one express purpose in your life, for you to serve in a body, to build it up, to strengthen each other with it. First Corinthians talks about that. The verses on the screen, verse, verse 7 is the one I want you to look at. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You know, just think about this for a minute with me. The gift of helps is given to what? Help other people. The gift of teaching is what? To teach other people. The gift of serving is for what? Serving others. We, we didn't get gifts to build ourselves up, to feel good about our spirituality. We're given gifts to build the body of Christ up, to minister to each other. And, and there's probably no more time, a, a time no more important in, in all of, of our lives than if we were suffering or if we were being persecuted for our faith. Uh, share these gifts, build each other up. Peter wraps up this, uh, this section of Scripture with these words. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage us, you know, when it says the oracles of God, it's speaking about God's word. And it's not just speaking about me. When I stand up here or any, any preacher stands up here, you better be convicted that you're speaking and handling the word of God. And you better do that reverentially and on your knees before God uh, because it's his word. But we do this in Bible studies and community groups. You know, we do this in just casual conversations. We need to remember we're handling the Word of God. This may be the most precious thing we have in our hands beyond the knowledge and the work of God. We need to treat it respectfully and reverently with the weight that it possesses. It's God's Word for our benefit, our blessing. We serve with His strength which he so readily supplies. We have a lot of activities going on here. And I want to encourage all of us when we come to serve in the nursery or children's ministry or lead a community group or whatever, you know, there's going to be times we get weary, whatever, uh, but, but be filled with his power. We're, we're not doing this on our own. We're doing it in his power, his strength, for his glory. These are the things that Peter throws in front of us for this passage about how to grow and live for the purpose and will of God. Suffering could be a very big, significant, real part of that. Maybe in your life right now, that way. But the reality is, draw close to the will and purpose of God. Dwell, drill down, live out the fullness of your unity and your oneness in Christ, your identity in Him, and live for the will and purpose of God. And God will strengthen you. He will lead you to a place where you're more and more like Christ. That's his plan and his purpose for you. So 
Remember, I think there's two big components here. It's, it's one about how we think about life. This passage has drawn out a lot of those things. Uh, knowing that we're one with Christ, knowing we have a unity with him, uh, developing, cultivating his mind about the word, knowing and learning God uh, through the word, being focused on it in a regular way all the time, uh, living, giving thanks for it. You know, we, we talk about living in faith, and, and I've been thinking about this. God's really stirring my heart in thinking this. But, you know, we can say we live by faith, but, but how much of, of the truth of God am I appropriating and applying in my life? You know, I, I, I think you could think of it as a continuum, as a brand new believer. You know, I probably only embrace maybe 10 or or four or three percent of, of God's truth about his character and his provision for me. And, and I was sort of beginning to walk in faith. Uh, but there's a lot of God, and there's a lot of God's truth, and there's a lot of power over sin that he has unleashed through Christ. Are we appropriating, are we living in the fullness of that, or in an increasing measure in that fullness? I, I think that's what about grasping that mentally and understanding that's our pursuit, to live the will of God. Be busy with that, uh, because what's coming may be very hard for us, and we may need it desperately. Just some of the practical things that are here, uh, you know, self-control, sober-minded, uh, loving one another. You know, we, we have community groups here. I want to invite all of you to join those and become a part of, okay. uh, of our fellowship and, and our growth together in Christ, where we do love each other. We do share hospitality together. We do serve each other in those groups. And, Grow and learn more and more to work out the will of God in those ways. That's the plan and purpose as Peter lays, lays it out for us in the text today. All for his glory. You know, what this is about is, is to reveal to our world the glory of Christ. Those out there that are, that are jumping into the flood of, of debauchery in our world, they need to see Jesus. They need Jesus. And we have the opportunity to go and reflect his love and his grace and his mercy and his truth and his word to those people, wherever we encounter them in the world. They need that. We need to show that. I just I want us to become a body that's, that's so focused on those things that, that we're just doing that. And we're, we're seeing people rescued from that, that, that flood of debauchery and embracing new life in Christ. So let's pray to that end. Trust God will work and move in those ways in our lives. Father, we thank you so much for your word. You, you have given us your very word, your truth, the path to live a life fully surrendered to you in, in an increasing way. Lord, I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. I know it's never over in this life. We never become perfectly sinless. But Lord, it is a journey in which we can grow and embrace more and more our identity in Christ, our oneness in him, and be freed more and more from sin in our lives as we seek to do your will, accomplish your purpose in each of our lives. I pray God you'd be at work at that, and I pray you would use that to reveal your wonder and glory and praise among all those who live around us, who we have contact with day in and day out, for your glory and your glory. God, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for his word. Apply it to each of our lives as only you can for your glory. Thank you.